Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to another episode of Sarah Married a Horror Fan. I am Simon. I'm me. This is episode one, one, five. Episode one hundred and fifteen. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Hello. It is our last episode for the month of February. God damn, that month went quick. Or oh, we recorded all these episodes in the same week. Um, yeah. So it's our final episode on our three calls month, but. Before we get there, we are going to let you know what we are covering in March. So starting this Friday, the 3rd of March, we are doing a 5x5 five five on our favourite episodes of horror TV or horror themed episodes of TV shows. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little, little bit of six or one, half a dozen of the other. Um, then on Monday, the 6th of March, we will be kicking off... The first episode of our theme for March, which is First Time Watch. So all the films in March will be films that we will be watching for the very first time. And that's both of us. These are films that neither of us have ever seen before. Mm -hmm. One of which, because it's not even fucking out yet. <laughs> um, so we will be covering on the 6th of March, Blood Diner. I know nothing about this movie. Uh, you you were obsessed with this movie. Yeah, I don't know why, because I still haven't watched it. Like I bought a Scream Factory version of it, but we saw it in a HMV in like. Yeah, didn't you buy it from HMV? No, I bought it online. I got the Scream Factory edition of it. I thought you bought it in HMV for some reason. No, I didn't, because oh. I refused to pay the money they wanted for it. Oh. Um, so then I instead spent like twenty quid on it for a Scream Factory edition instead. Fair enough. Um. But yeah, I don't even remember where we were. I think it might have been when we were in Bath. Yeah, we were in AHMV and you saw it. Yeah, and, you're like, and I was like, I need this in my life. Don't know why, just decided I needed it. And it became like this running thing for a while. And then it was my birthday, my 30th birthday, because I got vouchers from work for Amazon. So I ordered myself the Scream Factory edition of it. Nice. I still haven't watched it. Then the week, <laughs> the week after, on the 13th of March... We will be covering Scream 6. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Heads up, guys. We are seeing it on the 8th of March, because in the UK, we get it two days early. We well, are Only if you're going to the double bill. Only if bill. you're going to double bill. So we are doing a double bill of Scream and Scream 6 on the 8th of March. Um, we are keeping our episode... We won't be... Normally, we would release an episode on a new film, like, in or around the day it comes out. But because it's Scream... There's going to be spoilers all over the opening weekend. We're going to give everybody the chance to go and see it in the first few days that it's out. If you're in the UK from the 8th onwards, everywhere else in the world from the 10th onwards. And then we'll be dropping a completely spoiler-filled episode on Monday. So look out for that. That'll be the 13th of March. On the 17th of March, we will be doing a Cross in the Stream on The Invitation. Not that one, not that one, the other one. Uh, the 2017 one, I believe it is. Directed by Karen Kusama and starring not Tom Hardy. Yes. The guy who looks like Tom Hardy but isn't Tom Hardy. Mm -hmm. Who was Ryan's, mm, what you say, brother on mm -hmm. the OC. I can't yes. think of what his name was. I not just remember the image in Heap scene where they shoot mm, each other. What you say. Um, then on 20th of March, we will be looking at House. Which is another movie we've both become weirdly obsessed with wanting to watch. But you haven't watched it. Um, all four of them are on Shudder at the moment. Uh, if not, Arrow do a box. Do you know how many... Like, they're all on Shudder at the moment. But do you know how many times I've looked at that Arrow Blu-ray box when it's been in a sale and been like... Mm. So yeah, we're covering House 
And then on the 27th of March, rounding out the rest of the year, uh, rest of the month, we are covering the 1996 film, The Frighteners, directed by big man Peter Jackson. The last movie that Big Peach did before he went and took the Hobbits to Isengard. Mate, it's mental, isn't it? That he had like this low budget like horror career and then he went, fuck it, I'm going to make like the biggest film trilogy subjectively the she, biggest she film trilogy of all time. Do you know a weird, a weird through line to what we're currently doing from uh, Peter Jackson directing Flat um, Fridays? What? He was offered Hellraiser 3. He was also in line to do Nightmare on Elm Street 6. He turned it down but he was offered to uh, do Hellraiser 3 but he didn't think he could do a serious horror film. Yeah, because he got... <laughs> He wrote a script for Night. Sorry to go off topic. He wrote a script for Nightmare on Elm Street Six called The Dream Lover, which is one of the best pitches for a Freddy movie I've ever heard. So basically, we should have covered this last week, but since we're talking about Peter Jackson, his pitch was that Freddy was like an old man. Like kids in uh, Springwood and Elm Elm Street weren't scared of him anymore, and he lost all of his powers. And basically, he was like a homeless man. So kids would take drugs to go into their dreams to, like, beat the shit out of him oh. for, like, a laugh. And then he accidentally, like, kills one of the kids, like, in retaliation and starts getting his strength back. And it's all about how he, like, comes back from, like, basically being defeated and being, like, the stuff that people aren't scared of anymore. But, yeah, for some reason they passed on it. But that meeting with New Line that he had led to the eventual talks that got him the, the Hobbit job oh. or the Lord, Lord of the Rings job. job. So yeah, this is 96. Lord of the Rings came out in 2002. So there is like an eight year, eight year, six year. Most of that was uh, spent filming Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Because Viggo Mortensen insisted on climbing every mountain that he came across. Not eight years, it's six years. So there's a six year time jump between him doing this like fucking uh, Michael J. Fox is a, a wacky fraudulent ghost hunter movie to like, I'm going to make... The most expensive music uh, movie trilogy of all time? Are they the most expensive? I think like, they I, probably were at one point. I don't think they are now. Like, I assume once I'm the third Avatar, Avatar movie yeah. comes out, they'll be the third most... Like, in terms of, like, how much those films cost. But I then, feel like these the two. They've already outdone how much the Lord of the Rings movies cost. Yeah, and, like, those Marvel movies cost a fuck ton of money. But, yeah, he, he had a really weird trajectory because he did, like, these low-budget horror movies. Then he did the Lord of the Rings trilogy... Then he did that King Kong movie that nobody talks about because mm -hmm. it's eight hours long. Then he fucked around for a little bit and did some like documentaries and stuff. And then he went and did the hot like because I don't think he did anything between King Kong I have and no the idea. Hobbit. I don't really follow his career, so there you go, my man Peter Jackson. But back to what we were saying. Yeah, so that's what we got in store for you in March. But today we are looking at Hellraiser one 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 colon Hell on Earth. Hell on Earth. With the genius tagline of what started in hell will end on earth. Sure. I'm just going to say it out front, guys. I don't give a fuck. This is my favourite Hellraiser movie. There you go. Right. And we're okay. off. And we're off. And we're off. I just wanted to get that right out of the right. gate. So, cast-wise, in this film, we have... Uh... Kevin Bernhard as J.P. Monroe. I'm J.P. Monroe. He he says that so many times this movie. Yeah. Uh, Terry Farrell as Joey Summerskill. What up, Dax? Uh, Ken Carpenter as Doc slash Camerahead. Love that for him. Uh, Paula Marshall as Terry. Don't love her. 
do 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 uh, Brent Bolthouse's CD the DJ. What up? Um, this is all literally in order that they appear. I'm going to go back to the main page because I'm having to scroll through. Uh, Doug Bradley, obviously, as uh, Pinhead slash Elliot Spencer. Pinhead slash the guy from Leverage. Yes. The girl from Leverage? The guy from Leverage. Who's the girl? I thought the girl was Elliot. Oh, yeah. No, Elliot's my favourite. Elliot is... um... Never mind. Christian Kane. Never mind. And I think that's kind of it, to be honest. Um, yeah, you get Barbie, who is played by Peter Atkins. He is the bartender who gets turned into the barbed wire flamethrower Cenobite. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think I'm right in saying that, J- spoilers if you haven't seen this movie, JP is known later on in the film as Piston Head. And I'm pretty sure you'd have to Google check it on the Hellraiser wiki. But Terry becomes Dream Weaver Cenobite or Dream Cenobite, one of the two names. Mm. Uh, or, as I affectionately call her, Cigarette Throat. Yeah. Okay, so directed by Anthony Hickox. Hickox. Jesus. Uh, Written by... Not really sure. Peter Atkins, Tony Randall, and based on characters by Clive Barker. Correct. None of them have actually got a script credit, though. Uh, Peter and Tony have got an original story credit, and Clive Barker has got a character. When you watch the film, though, it does say written by... Like Anthony Hickox and Tony Randall. Tony Randall is the dude who directed Hellraiser 2 Hellbound. Uh, Plotline wise, an investigative reporter must send the newly unbound Pinhead and his legions back to hell. I guess. Seems like really slim on the ground of what this movie is actually about, but sure. Uh, This film was made on a budget of $5 million. You can Universal Backlot Stunt Show tell. Uh, and grossed <laughs> worldwide $12,534,961. I, I would love to know how much of that five mil went into Doug Bradley's pockets. True. Because I'm not being funny. This movie is the pinhead show. Yeah. Um, and he plays two characters. He like really worked for his paycheck in this Yeah. Film. The one thing, like, I'm going to say it out front, like, because it's always bothered me about this movie, and it bothers me even more now that I've got the Arrow Blu-ray box set, because I I have a weird... I don't know what you guys are like with your Arrow Blu-rays, but I have a weird obsession with my Arrow Blu-rays. Nine times out of ten, I don't use the Arrow artwork. I use whatever the original artwork is, because I'm a purist. Now, if you look at the poster for the original Hellraiser, which is Pinhead on the blue wall with the box, Mm. and then you look at the one for Hell on Earth... It's the same picture, just with like New York in the background. Yeah. Have you ever seen the original poster? It's him screaming. Yeah. It? So the original poster is just like him on side profile, like screaming, and for some reason they deemed it to be too violent or too offensive. So they basically did this fucking composite poster of him from the original film, like on the back of like a blood red sky, but it's like new, it's meant to, it, like this movie's meant to be set in New York, but it doesn't feel like it's set in New York. They just run past a couple of shops that are like New York grocery and they have like a New York cab, but they never actually explicitly say where this movie's meant to be set. But I don't it is, think it really matters. Yeah, but it is honesty. meant to be New York. Um, so, you know, he was like, my boy Jason went a couple of years ago, had a great time. Uh, Ghostface is on his way there as we speak. He's on the Titanic as we speak. Um, so, yeah, like, it's like 
you have seen this is the third of the original timeline mm-hmm. and then you've seen the reboot right yes um i'll start with you because i have a lot of feelings about this movie and people will hear them in due course what did you think of this one in comparison to the other two so i i really like this one i did i did enjoy this movie i feel like i was always going to enjoy the original three at least of the pinhead films the hellraiser movies as they are technically named um the original trilogy um but my one main gripe with this film is there's too much talking yeah from pinhead i don't mind the elias elliot spencer exposition that's fine because it makes sense for his character to be the talkative one but there's a lot of like pinhead nattering away and i'm like you're not a talkative character mm-hmm. yeah doug bradley's like delivering monologues in this movie like he's tracking a cradle of filth record yeah like, like... don't get me wrong i love listening to pinhead to talk because doug bradley has got an enchanting voice he does audiobooks oh my god i'm so gonna have to go find audiobooks he's done he did a thing a couple of years ago where he was like reading stories on his instagram and like on his website and stuff i'm gonna go find it and obviously he does that he has... as i for those who didn't catch the reference he's narrated four cradle of filth albums yeah no i know um Four or three. So gonna go find audiobooks that he's done now. Um but yeah, it was just a bit too much exposition from Pinhead for it to feel quite right. Yeah. And like And he's in it a little bit too much. Yeah, so my my main problem with this movie is they I don't care that they split Elliot Spencer and I don't and like Pinhead. Although I do have an interesting thing to talk about about that later on, because it brought it fucked with my brain um but like they mentioned that he's like the unbound embodiment of evil mm-hmm. yeah he doesn't really do outside of the massacre scene anything that evil i mean to be fair he couldn't do anything that evil up until that point anyway because he had to be released yeah but once he's released what i'm saying is he does that massacre scene and then he just wanders around for a bit yeah but he's trying to get he's like his main focus at that point is getting the box back off of joey so i i feel like he's more scary (laughs) in the other two like movies because he he presents himself in a way that is intimidating whereas in this one and this is exactly... So I alluded to this earlier when we were having a conversation. This is my problem with this movie. This is the movie where he he becomes a generic slasher. Mm. Like, and he becomes... It's a lot of him slow walking after yeah. Joey as she runs away. And, like, he, became, he becomes way too chatty in this movie. And, like, I don't understand whose fucking bright idea it was to take two of Clive Barker's most interesting characters, Daniel Robitaille, a.k.a. Candyman, and then Pinhead who have this really rich mythology and, like, this really interesting way of them being summoned and, like, obviously repercussions for summoning them and, like, this whole, like, mythology and, like, etherealness to them and then just went, oh, yeah, just make those fucking dudes generic slashers. Do you know know one thing that did get me in this movie, though, is they make a comment. It's... I think it might be as Elliot he makes the comment Mm. of um, they don't harm innocents. Yeah. So, like, even if someone innocent summoned them, they wouldn't be punished mm-hmm. for doing so because they punish the guilty. Yet in the first film, Kirsty's not... Kirsty's yeah. predominantly innocent. She accidentally opens a box. Mm-hmm. And in the second film, Tiffany's definitely a fucking innocent. Mm-hmm. She's a child. Yeah. 
So that doesn't work. And certainly in the new <laughs> one as well. Like, a bunch of innocent characters get fucked up in the new movie. Like, spoiler... I suppose it depends on what they class as innocent. So it's, yeah. it's like, whether or not you've committed a, a sin. Yeah, because, like, in the new one, like, I can understand people like Riley and stuff getting punished. But, like, her brother, his boyfriend... Nor, I mean, Nora doesn't... I mean, Nora gets tortured by the Cenobites. She ultimately gets killed by fucking Nobed. Mm. But, like, I... So, yeah, it is interesting as well. Like, it's interesting to see, like, though that, that kind of... Because, as he says, it's like, hell has its own commandments. And then he mentions, like, a friend opened a box. Because he, he, that's what the thing that got you, wasn't it? When he refers to Kirsty as a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, who's not in this movie, really. Which makes me sad. I was like, oh, him and Kirsty be bros. I think, to be fair, by the end of hell, <laughs> the second film... It is kind of implied. Implied, thank you. Employed. uh, That he holds Kirsty in high regard. Yeah, and then they follow through with that in the comics when he hands the reign of Hell Priest over to her and she becomes Pinhead in the comics, which is really fucking cool. Um, Yeah, so... (sighs) This movie is a very strange film. So... This movie is the first movie by Dimension Films, mm-hmm. who, as we know, are owned by the Bronson Brothers, and they also acquired the Halloween franchise. So this was the the whole, like, hey, man, we've got these horror characters. Let's just start smashing out, like, content and making it, like... And this is kind of, like, the first sign of really seeing horror characters being thrust from the 80s into the 90s. I mean, obviously, by this point, we'd had Jason Goes to Hell, and we, which is the same year as this, and Army of Darkness... Because this movie's 30 years old this year. And then obviously we had Freddy's Dead. And then it was the start of like Candyman coming out, this coming out. This is like three years prior to Scream. So this is like the MTVification of like horror icons for like taking the appeal to like teenagers. Mm. Um, and I think this movie kind of has a... Like this movie's nowhere near as cerebral as the first two. No. Like you don't have to think about this movie. It's not asking you to think about like a lot of existential concepts of like hell and i mean it mentions hell but not in the same way of like leviathan and like especially in hellraiser 2 because it shows you like leviathan and the inner workings of like we work for this dude who works for this dude who works for this dude who's going to take you here and like he basically stops short of being like look i'm your tour guide through hell please keep your hands and feet in the vehicle at all times whereas this movie he's kind of just like hell 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 boring white dude hell 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 box done like it's it's yeah. it's very like it leaves a lot of the myth like um mythification yeah i don't want to the I, baby girlification of pinhead like i don't um, want to say this because i am one of the people that loves this movies but this is like hellraiser for dummies yeah a little bit <laughs> like you know what i mean like, like me wrong. it's not a bad film it's just it doesn't seem to fit quite right yeah and this is like and do you know what this is the movie that I fe- this is the first Hellraiser movie I ever saw mm. when I was a kid. And I think this is the movie that led me to believe that like Pinhead was a much bigger horror icon than he is. Like, don't get me wrong, he's fucking popular, but he's not like Chucky, Freddy, Jason, Michael. He's kind of like the guy you tag in, like when one of those in a year when one of those movies isn't coming out. Um But like because of this and the fucking motorhead video where he's playing like poker with Lemmy the fact that he was on like TV, like a lot of TV stuff, I thought I thought this like he was a way more popular character than he was because mm. of this film. But 
what okay i'm gonna start at the beginning because i have to ask your opinion on it because you didn't really mention it when we watched the movie what do you think of the pillar of souls like and what do you think of that being like a big part of the first half of this movie it looks really dumb uh but i get why it's there because obviously that's how the second film ends yeah it's like him trapped in the pillar of souls yeah so like it makes sense in context of like i get why they brought it over but also it just looks a bit dumb and i'm right in saying but forgive me if i'm wrong because it's been a while since i've seen the second one that pillar of souls is the same thing that you see in the first two movies isn't it like that's the I thing that the chains, so, yeah. like the wooden block, wooden block and the, yeah. the chains come out and they pull frank apart at the end i and think stuff. so yeah yeah and so I don't know how it goes from being like a wooden, like butcher's block kind of thing to like a statue. the statue that it is in this yeah, one. Okay. And like, it kind of seems like without sounding stupid, like they tried to take a lot of mythology from like other characters and kind of just dump them on Pinhead. Like there's nothing about Pinhead and really his mythology in this movie that kind of lines up with the other two movies mm. like it's never been mentioned before that he can split apart like until they mention obviously in the second movie because you see all of the, the yeah i feel i feel like that only happens because of what occurs in the second movie and she basically like rehumanizes elliot yeah um and like we see the we like he's in the thing of souls at the end mm -hmm. so i think it is just a matter of like he's so powerful at that point that his separation from his human host didn't make a difference. Yeah. And like, this is what led me to kind of go on a bit of a rabbit hole because we find out in the remake or the reboot and we find out kind of in the first couple of movies that like, there are different, and like throughout the franchise that there are different versions of like, so if a chatterer gets killed, you can create a new chatterer. If a like blah, 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 you can create different versions of the same Cenobites. I wondered who Pinhead was before he latched on to Elliot Spencer. Spencer yeah. And it turns out that there is no other Pinhead. There was no Pinhead prior to Elliot Spencer. Now, in Bloodlines, you see it through three different time periods. You see it in like the, the Victorian French aristocracy era, yeah. modern day, and then the future. Yeah, it's all and, about the building of the yeah. box, I know. And Pinhead's in all three of those lineages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Elliot Spencer was born in 1887. Well, I always assumed he was, like, timeless once he became Pinhead. Well, this is my point, because he, he... Elliot Spencer was born in 1887, but he didn't summon Pinhead with the box until 1921, when he was in World War, World War One. So how could Pinhead have been around in the, like, French aristocracy I, era I, before Elliot Spencer summoned him? Again, as I, I, I think part of it is that once you have become Pinhead, like you become part of hell and it's kind of, you become timeless. Yeah. So you can time travel kind of, I guess. Well, there was some wishy-washy. So like they can summon you from any time period, yeah. basically. It doesn't matter because you exist within the realm of hell, realm of hell, which is outside of time. Yeah. And there was some wishy-washy like thing online about him being able to like shape shift and take on different appearances and stuff. But apparently Pinhead has always been Elliot Spencer. Like, there is no other... Mm. Or, like, you know, prior to the new one, and then obviously Kirsty, there has never been another Pinhead. So that kind of confused me a little bit, especially, like, in this one, as he says, like, he 
became him in 1921 when he opened the box because of his curiosity. But, like, I think this is the one where they kind of start to really muddle the mythology. Also, I do love the fact that they imply in this movie that Elliot Spencer was super into, like, S&M. Yeah, and, like, obviously was quite old when he was in the army. Because if, if he was born in 1887 and didn't go in the army 40s. until, yeah, like, until 1921. Well, late 30s. Yeah, they kind of... Yeah, they kind of imply that he w- he'd either been a soldier for a very long time and, like, the things that he... Well, he's a lieutenant, isn't he? Which yeah. Which means he would have worked up. Because lieutenant's reasonably high? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know where lieutenant sits. Because I know you're, like, a cadet. Yeah. And then you have, like, sergeant, lieutenant, colonel, commander, all those sort of, like, different... Yeah. Like, I don't really know, like, my army <coughs> rankings are a little bit off. But, yeah, I found it interesting that they kind of implied that maybe it was like... Is he British? Yeah. Okay. Like, the horrors of war were what kind of made him curious about, like, the other side. Because mm. that's kind of what he implies of his dialogue, isn't it? He's like, hey, man, like, I was in the war, like, I saw some shit. And it, you know, I did some shit. Because he kind of says, like... I've seen things, I did things, and this is kind of what made me push my, like, curiosity yeah. to the extreme. So, if he's just a lieutenant, he is only two steps up from an officer. Okay. Which is, like, cadet level. Yeah. Because you're uh, it's officer, cadet, second lieutenant, lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Unless he's maybe a lieutenant colonel, which might make more sense for his age, because that's another three steps up from lieutenant. Mm. But... It seems unlikely because he doesn't look like he has a massive battalion of soldiers mm. in the flashbacks, and a lieutenant is only thirty. So, whereas a lieutenant colonel is like six hundred and fifty. Yeah, and he was meant to have born in eighteen eighty seven, and he was in the First World War in nineteen twenty one or nineteen thirty one. Nineteen twenty one. Yeah, so that's that's kind of like where I was a bit like, okay, a lot of the stuff you say in Bloodline doesn't make sense, but whatever. Um, yeah, so he, like. I think, I don't know about you, but I think the war stuff and the focus on the war stuff in this movie makes this movie like feel tonally all over the place. A little bit, yeah. Well, don't get me wrong, I liked the, uh, the Elliot Spencer bit. Not gonna lie to you, it was quite interesting seeing Human Pinhead. Mm. It's one of the rare times you'll hear me say it's about a horror character. I was really interested in like who he was before he was Pinhead because we don't <clears> know a lot about Pinhead. And like... Again, this is muddled writing, but the implication seems to be that he was maybe in the same battalion as Joey's dad. That's how, like, when... No, because her dad was in Vietnam. Were they not in the same war? Was that no. not the same field no. that she was talking to him on? No. Because I've always, I've always worked on the assumption that when she goes into her dream and she's dreaming of no. the war, the so reason why Elliot, Elliot crosses over... fought in the First World War. Right. Uh, by the looks of the settings that they have, he was in France. Yeah. Um, but her dad was fighting in Vietnam, which was until like the seventies, right? 60s, that, 70s actually, that well. makes more sense. But I, because I've always tried to piece that thing together of like, well, when she goes into a dream, she sees her dad being left, but then the the sets or the I assume they only had like one set and they had to like redress it, but the sets that they're walking on when she's talking to him, I kind of assume that that was why he it came to It could have been her. the two dream worlds merging together, yeah. to be honest. I don't think it really matters yeah. too much. But no, the first one's in World War One, um, And they're, cause they're at the... Um, I can't think what they're called. 
I've been to see them. There's some still standing. The like dugouts that mm, they fought the in. trenches. The trenches. Yeah, it's not the Battle of the Somme, is it? Because that Battle of been... the Somme was World War One. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's because you. Cause that's what you, I wrote my. Because um, you mentioned France, and I was trying to think. Or that's would it... what I wrote my essay on first. Um, my uh, GCSE. Also potentially Passchendaele. I don't know about Passchendaele. Because I don't know which war that was fought in, but that was in France because there's a fucking ten minute long Iron Maiden song about it. Both wars were fought in <laughs> France. Though, yeah, but you fair. know what I mean. Like... But no, the Battle of the Somme was in the First World War because, yeah, I wrote my GCSE essay on it because I did... Um, my essay was about the guy who um, told them to go over the top and mm. basically massacred his troops. Because that was, that was the, th- the theory that I always, wor- like, always worked on was that, like, maybe her father and... Elliot knew each other, and that was why. Like, well, no, because she's way too young for yeah. that as well. But yeah, it kind of proves how much I pay attention to the, the war stuff in this movie. To be fair, I think part of it is also like I know quite a lot about like history. Like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a massive interest in it. So, and I studied it for years. Yeah. So it is interesting to me though that like obviously they set up the idea of Elliot Spencer in Hellraiser two. Because you don't, you, I think you maybe get a glimpse of him in a Open picture in or something. No, you get to see him opening the box. No, I was talking about in the first one. Like, you see a glimpse of him maybe in a photo in the first one, but you don't maybe. actually see him as him. No. Um, he's only pinned in the first movie. But, like, in the second movie, obviously, you see him revert to his human form when Kirsty kind of defeats him. And then I think that's interesting that that's the only part from the first two movies that really carries over into this one. Mm. And it's interesting that that's the plot thread they choose to like further in this movie. But I just think with the whole like, hey, man, this is kind of like a 90s horror hip slasher. And then there's this bunch of war stuff as well. Mm. Um, I thought that was just a bit jarring. And they keep going back to the war stuff quite a lot. Mm. Um, But it's like they never really elaborate on anything. They kind of just go back to similar scenes again and just see it from like different vantage points, unless it's her and him talking. And then obviously they have that conversation um, about like, you know, how he became evil and like you see him opening the box and stuff. But what did you, so did you think there was a good enough reason or good enough, like for all the exposition of like, who he was and how he split in half. Like, how did you think that was handled? Like, did you enjoy that or did you wish there'd been more or less of it? Uh, I could have done without so much exposition, in all honesty. Mm. But, like, it made sense. Yeah. It's like, I didn't hate it. It made sense to me. I was like, yeah, this makes reasonable sense. I can understand why this has happened. But... Yeah, I just... I just think that there's, like, a lot of stuff in this movie that like as you say exposition wise for a movie that's called a hell on earth there is a distinct lack of like actual hell on earth it's more like conversations in coffee shops is what this movie should have been called yeah (coughs) also is this the most unlikable cast of characters in a hellraiser movie that's not the reboot i didn't hate most of the characters uh i think jp sucks JP sucks, but I think Terry's not great. <laughs> I quite like Terry. I quite like Terry. I like Terry. I like Joey as well. Joey's all right. I've I've always I've always had a had a lot of time for Joey, but I think that's just because she's Dax from Deep Space Nine. Um, but yeah, I like Joey as a main character. I think the problem with Joey is that she, until the end, till the last ten minutes, she doesn't seem to have a lot of agency as a character. Um, 
I think outside of the scene where she talks to Pinhead in the club and she's like, come and get it, I think she's just a bit like... I mean, I don't agree with that because the entire of this movie is her basically throwing a fuck you at her bosses who won't let her cover the story she wants to watch, wants to cover. So she's investigating it on her own to prove to them that it's worth it. Yeah, true. I just, I think in terms of like when the actual horror stuff starts, like she does. So her character just kind of becomes generic final girl who does a lot of running in the second half of this movie. And that's kind of what the, like, I think that's what I'm trying to say is like the first half of this movie, she's a completely different character to how she's in the second half of the movie. Yeah, but no, because there's a reason she's running so much in the second one because she needs to get the cube. She's a low, low. Um, pinhead back to her apartment to get through the window to hand the cube over to Elliot Spencer so he can retrap Pinhead and send him back to hell. So, like, she is running a lot, but she is running with purpose. She's like, I need to get back <laughs> to my apartment. She's not just like, oh, no, I fell over. I fall down some stairs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, the thing is as well, it's, like, she makes reasonably smart decisions up until she gets stuck in, like, the building development area. Mm-hmm. She makes reasonably smart decisions. And suddenly, just when it when it's suddenly Tiff and JP, she's just like, oh, no. See? I'm just going to stand here while you walk around me in circles. And oh. burn me with your cigarette. <laughs> oh, no. These are people that I knew as humans that are now Cenobite. But she, she already ran into the cameraman. Yeah, who... Magically has a head, had a head again. Yeah, (laughs) he's holding his head in his hand. Yeah, but then he's got the head back on his head, like which I think is really funny. Um, Yeah, I mean, like I wish there'd been more explanation about the pillar of souls and how the pillar of souls works, and obviously how, like, because Pinhead's like, yeah, man, I need some souls, and like you see him get fed like two people. (laughs) It's like, is that all you needed? Like one person, two person. Like, you needed a man and a woman. Like, you needed to turn yeah, this into like, a... this seemed like way, way less effort than he was making it out to be when he was yeah. trying to lure JP into helping him. Yeah. Unless maybe JP had sacrificed more people in yeah, the interim that we see didn't it. see. Yeah. But yeah, at least you just uh, did just seem like Pinhead needed two people. Because, like, to me... And you only needed to actually eat one of them, because he doesn't eat JP. He turns JP into a Cenobite. Yeah. To me, it would have made more sense if you have JP orchestrate the massacre scene in the nightclub and then all of those souls get fed to him while he's in the pillar and then you just see... You see the blood come out of the thing and then he opens the door after the massacre and that's how he's free. Like, that would have made more sense. Yeah, that would, would have, have made more sense. That would have given, like, more story leverage to... This Pillar of Souls thing is fucking, like... This ain't no joke, like a son. massacre to, this like, is, open it. Yeah, yeah, like, not some fucking blonde woman and an art dealer who's got high-waisted boxer shorts on. Yeah, it's kind of like... This is a really vague reference in the Vampire Diaries. When Jeremy needs to kill vampires to complete his hunter's mark, and they basically go... Oh, like he has to kill hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of vampires. So they just get him to kill Cole because it kills all of Cole's bloodline and that works. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so you killed a person. like, And you yeah. killed my favourite original, so fuck you, You killed Jeremy. a person and then just nerfed an entire bloodline. But yeah, and he, so that kills the entire... Everybody yeah. Cole has ever sired then dies. And it completes his hunter's mark. And I'm like, this was way less exciting. I was really looking forward to like Jeremy going rogue and like hunting down vampires left, right and centre. But no, they literally just kill Cole. I was like, you little assholes. Very similar feelings about this to that. Yeah. 
Because, like, that massacre scene is legit. Like, there is a uh, an uncut version of it somewhere. I think the version that I've got slightly cut, there is a slightly longer version of it with a bit more blood. But, like, that would have, like, led... Because, like, the fucking apartment that JP's in is in the club. Mm-hmm. So Pinhead is in the club, like, 50 he's Cent. He's in the club. Yeah, he's, like, 50 Cent. He's hanging out in Go the club. Go Pinhead. It's yeah, <laughs> but like if if they if 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 instead of having him in his bedroom, if he had him like as a because you see that the club's a bit weird. There's like bondage babies with like scissors next to them and stuff hanging from the, the club. Yeah, he could have easily moved the statue into yeah. the club, orchestrated the massacre. Yeah, and then that awoke Pinhead. Yeah, and then as I say, you just have him open the doors to the club, all the blood leaks out, and he's like, "Shall we begin?" And then that's how we kick off the second half of this movie, mm. rather than. Him being like, oh, I had sex with a blonde lady. Here you go. Oh, no. Terry's kind of pushing me in your direction. Here we go. <laughs> like, it's just... Yeah, and she literally just shoves him towards oh. Pinhead. Like, it's not even like she kills him. She just rolls his body while he's unconscious. Also, I feel like there's a really pivotal scene missing as well. Because, so there's the scene where he comes out of the Pillar of Souls and he's in front of Terry. And Terry's all like, oh, my God. And, and then they cut the fucking line out from the trailer where he says, it's so good to be back. And then you don't see him turn Terry into a Cenobite. No. And it's like, I would lo- like, even if it's like a two minute conversation of him, like explaining to her, like he, you could have, uh, like you spend time with this character. Like, I feel like there's a section of this movie that's cut out because she just disappears. Yeah. And you're kind of led to believe that Because I was sat there going, what happens to Terry? Yeah. You're kind of led to believe that he's fucking murked her. And then she turns up at the end as a Cenobite. And I'm like, okay. Like, and like that, that does my head in as well, because it's like, does, does he know that she's going to the construction site? Because he has the three, the three uh, male Cenobites, CD head, cameraman and Barbie chase her down the street. And then Piston Head and Dreamweaver are just kind of sat there. Like at the construction site. So just did he, for... yeah, like, did he know? I mean, maybe he was like, like, was she, he like, like shepherding her? Shepherding yeah, 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 yeah. Her? No. Corralling her. Corralling her. Yeah. Like, and that's like, there's, he was like, I know the perfect place for a showdown. There's like a scene where they're just sat there, like checking their like Cenobite watches. Like, come on, man. Like this chick should be here by now. Yeah, it's like, oh. is that I've got pizza coming. He's like, I heard so. Oh, no. Tiff's there, like, my cigarette's gonna go out in a minute. I'm gonna have to change it. <laughs> He's like, this would be so much easier if vaping was invented. <laughs> She's just got a fucking vape stick out of her neck. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I just, yeah, that it just feels like there was a lot edited out of this movie because there are scenes, there are like scene transitions in this that don't really make any sense. No. Like this movie is very much like we have three locations. And we need to... So It's like someone playing a fucking board game. It's like someone's just moving the characters like on a singular track until they end up in like a the, the, the final place. Yeah. Um, not very gory. Uh, no, there's not, not There's no interesting kills in this movie outside of the massacre scene. Uh, the massacre scene is fucking incredible. There's a legit... I don't know if you saw it. There's a legit bit in this movie... And it's the first... I saw it on a documentary. It's the first instance of CGI in a film or, like, in a horror movie where there's an ice cube in a glass and it turns into Pinhead's face and then it turns into an icicle and then stabs a woman in the mouth. And then, obviously, you see the aftermath of the massacre scene when Joey goes to the club. Uh, the massacre scene's cool. It's legendary. Like, it's a well-established scene. 
Uh, we we will talk about him in a minute. Um, Armored Saint are playing. John Bush's band before he joined Anthrax are playing in one of the scenes in the club as well. Um, but yeah, like it's it's a very uh bloodless. I don't want to say bloodless, but like outside of the massacre scene, there's not a lot of kills in this movie. No. Um, and you don't really get to spend a lot of time with any of the Cenobites. Which is probably for for the yeah. best because they're a bit shit. One of my favourite lines in this is when he basically admits that they're shit. He's like, oh, yes, they're not up to my usual acquaintances, but, you know, I, I had to, to make do. Here's, like, some pre-made Cenobites. Here's, here's, here's I, five I made earlier. I think he kind of references them being, like, handmade at one point as well, <laughs> which I think is really... I just love the idea. He's got, he's got like, a crafting club with the killer from Valentine. Wait, do you know what it reminded me of? Do you remember Shaker Makers? Yeah. So this is probably a really niche reference for anyone that's like not English, but like they used to have like the troll ones, didn't they? So you'd get like what was it, plaster of Paris? Yeah. And you would put them in like a mold, and then you'd shake it up, and then you'd have to leave it for like an hour, and then you take it out, and it had like a mold, and that's kind of what I imagine Pinhead's doing. Pinhead's just like <laughs> making. But the thing is, like, this is another thing as well that doesn't like make sense. And again, it's like they kind of retread this in the remake. Like, we are led to believe that, like, the Cenobites are, like, from an... You never know how the Cenobites came to be in the first two movies. See, I always kind of assumed from what I've seen is that Pinhead was the first and then he created the others from people who opened his box. Yeah. Oh, he opened his box. But then, like, none of these motherfuckers opened his box. So how did he, like... I think it's just because he killed them. Is it because he's like, hey, man, like, now I'm super evil. I can just... I can just... Shazam! You're a fucking... You're you're a a Cenobite. You're a Cenobite. Everyone's a Cenobite. And it's like... Yeah, it's, it's such a weird... And, like, all of the Cenobites are, like, oddly specific. Yeah. They're, like, oddly specific to who the person was in, like, human life. And Piston Head fucking sucks. He's one of the worst looking Cenobites. Like, camera guy, I can kind of forgive. He kind of looks a bit like Billy Idol in the Shockless System video. Um, which is a really fucking weird music video. Um, I think it came out the same year, actually. But it doesn't really matter. Um, like, the CD head one is really funny because he makes a sound like a fucking disc changer. He's like... Every time he throws something, it's just really funny. And, like, Barbie's hilarious. Um, who's actually Peter Atkins, the guy who wrote it, is mm. the Barbie Cenobite. But yeah, I just thought it was weird that they were like all oddly specific. And I was like, it made me think about like the Cenobites from the original movie, like Chatterer. I was like, what was he, just a fucking dude who talked too much? Probably. And like Butterball. I was like, what was he, just some fucking fat dude? And then like... I always assumed they kind of rec- like uh, represented the sins that they were like guilty of. Like Butterball would be gluttony. Yeah. Um, I don't know what Chatterer would be. Like arrogance or Maybe. something, I guess. Like arrogance isn't a sin, but. And then there's because there, there's one in the in the new movie that looks like a combination between Dreamweaver, Angelique, and um, the the lady one from the first movie. Because the lady one's got the like things in her mouth. Yeah, she's, she's got the cool. slit in her throat. And then you've seen pictures of Angelique where she's got the skull pulled back. Yeah. And then there's that woman in the new one that's got the skull pulled back with the bit over the top and then she's got the slit in her throat mm. as well. And she's really fucking cool. Um, but yeah, I just think it's weird that he's just like, hey man, I just made these like Cenobites on the fly. Here's, here's five <coughs> earlier. 
And um, none of them are particularly intimidating. No, they all a bit dumb. They talk way too fucking much. Yeah. Like, oh, oh. When fucking camera guy kills a dude and he's like, are you ready for your close-up? And then when he, like, kills the police officer, he's like, that's a wrap. No. We're not doing puns. No. We're not fucking doing puns. Like, this is shit. Um, so, yeah, the Cenobites in this movie fucking suck. You know, they are just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of Pinhead in this movie? Like, what do you think of pure, unfiltered, unadulterated Pinhead? I mean, I didn't say it at the beginning. I think he's too talkative. But other than that, like, I... Like, other than other than the fact that he exposits a lot, I, I, I find the one that's the two halves more evil. Like, I don't think they did enough to make him, like, an uber Pinhead in this. No, they didn't. Like, they really didn't pay off the, like, he is pure evil thing i guess yeah and that's... Um, also i don't like the makeup as much in this one i like the visual effect when he takes his brain out yeah um and i like the brain the... out yeah you know when he does the whole stigmata thing and he pulls the pins out oh, and there's the like pins bit, out, yeah, the little, little bits, bits of brain are like on the yeah that that whole... i didn't like the actual like he looks slightly different mm-hmm. like makeup wise i wasn't as fond of it it didn't he... look as cool he looks more ceramic yeah. Like, he looks more like he's been made from a plaster cast in this. Um, but I guess that was, like, years of them getting to a point where they could just put on the prosthetics really quickly. Especially in this movie, because he's... No, in they actually lo- changed the prosthetics. This yeah. Like, it's a new... To make it quicker to get him in and out of it. Because so, he hated it as well. Doug Bradley was not a fan. Because, obviously, like... Because he's in this movie a lot. Like, they did, they probably wouldn't have had, like, fucking six, seven hours to, like, keep getting him in a minute. Him in and out of it for the amount that he has to wear. Um, I do like the church scene. The church scene is my favourite scene in the entire franchise. When she's like, when he's like, demons aren't real. And she's like, what the fuck is that? And he does yeah. the whole stigmata thing and this is my blood. Like, that scene is really fucking cool. Because I love it when he gets, like, really anti-religion. And, like, I love how, like, anti-God in this movie he is. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I agree with what you said. Like, he talks way too much in this movie. He's delivering way too many monologues when he should just be like if you're gonna make him a generic slasher just have him shut the fuck up and just kill people like mm. there's not enough like pinheads doing evil shit and it i don't feel like he fucks with joey as much in this movie as he fucks with kirsty mm. like he fucks with kirsty like on a way more psychological and personal level whereas with joey he's just like oh you're spirited this is gonna be fun japes he's just having a like if you put if you put the end of this movie put... Yeah, but the difference is is Kirsty opens his box and like he is like attached to the box. Yeah. So he can he knows where she is and he's fucking with her. Whereas in this one he's just out in the world. Like it's not like he's specifically attached to Joey. Yeah. But he's just like Benny Hill music chasing her down the fucking road. Mm. Um Although you never see him run. I want to see this motherfucker run at least he once. He probably can't run in that outfit. Or in his fucking butcher's apron. Yeah. He's all like, hey man. He's like, one does one does not simply run after a young girl on the streets of New York. No. Um, okay, let's let's talk about it. The climax of this movie is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I said this to you when we were watching it. This movie promises a lot and doesn't deliver a lot. No. And it feels like a movie that is singularly bigger and smaller than the other two. 
Because the, the first movie is a really intimate film. It takes place in a house and then a hospital at the end. The second movie is great because they expand the lore with the Leviathan and stuff. This movie, it feels like it all takes place on one street in one night. And it ends on a construction site. And I think the finale of this movie is probably my, my least favourite part of it. Mm. Um, I feel like the finale of the movie... Like, the bit with Pinhead where him and Elliot are talking to each other and she's in the bondage gear is really fucking cool. Like, that's a really cool conversation. And, like, the melding of them together. But, like, it's another movie that I feel like delivers a lot but then didn't have the budget and couldn't couldn't pay it off. Yeah. Because they're like, there's going to be hell on earth. And as I said to you, it feels like it's a... There's a mild inconvenience yeah. on earth. <laughs> like, she's running down the street and it feels like she's running on a back lot for a start. Yeah. And it feels like I said to you, like one of those Universal stunt shows. Do you remember, you've been to Universal, right? Yeah. Did you go there when they had the earthquake thing when you could do the studio yeah. tour? It feels like that, right? It feels like you're a like, bit, like you could yeah. be on a car on the side and you're like, the Cenobites feel like, hey man, we're the Universal Studio Cenobites. I'm Camerahead. I'm CD guy. I'm Barbie. And then they're like going to do a big song and dance number at the end. A little bit, yeah. And like, there's some slightly electrified water, and like some light bulbs are popping in streetlights. And yeah, it does feel very like it's so fucking weird. Stunt showy. Yeah, and there's like I don't understand what the weird thing at the end is as well. So like when she's in the bondage gear having the and the him and the, him and Elliot are having the conversation. What's the little fucking thing that's like coming out the ground? I have no idea. Because it's like this little thing that's like trying to like attack her and I'm like I don't know what the fuck this is Not like okay. but it feels so weird that the movie ends like she's running away from Pinhead and then he just he's like used fucking map quest or some shit because he's behind her then she turns up at the fucking construction site and he comes from the other side as if he's like stopped chasing her and taken an alternate route Probably. he's like turned off down like Route 5 and gone down like 62nd Street and turned off, got an ice cream on the way. He got he's, a hot dog. Yeah, he's like just, <laughs> he's just floating down the road like one of the gentlemen. He's just like, he's like doing the Robert Pads and he's like, I left my hotel to get a hot dog. And he's like, what if people see me? He's like, I need to get this hot dog. I'm a normal man, I can get a hot dog. <laughs> and it's just like, it's so weird because he turns up on like a mound of dirt. He's like, hello, Joey. And it's like, where did you come from? Mm. Like, did you, did you get a cab? No, do you know what he did? He got a murder scooter. He got his app out. He got one of them little fucking electric scooters. Maybe. Pinhead on an electric scooter. Make it happen. I would pay money to see that. But it's weird though, isn't it? Because at some point he just stops chasing her and it's the Cenobites. And then he just randomly appears. And this is what I mean. Like, I'm starting to think that maybe the construction site had a significance because the other two pit, uh, Cenobites are waiting for her and he randomly just shows up there when we've already... Been shown I think that he's not I, honestly, chasing I her. honestly feel like he was just like corral her to a central point. Like here, he's like, and I'll meet you there in a minute, guys. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm gonna go get my nails done quick. Okay, <laughs> bye. I'm gonna go get, go get my pins polished. <laughs> oh, look, good for your final girl. But honestly. I thought the final moments of this movie were trash. Like the Cenobites get dispatched way too fucking quickly. She's just like, oh, finger the box, pew 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 pew, uh, and then like. The cool, the the shot where him and Elliot become one again, and then she sends him to hell is really fucking cool. But it's a bit of a damn squib, isn't it? Like it's a bit of a like, hey man, you've told me that there's gonna be fucking super evil pinhead in this. You've told me like all this fucking good shit, and then he just kind of goes, nah, I'm out. And then the construction site, the bit like she buries the box, 
the lament configuration she in the concrete. In some concrete, and then the building when it's built has yeah. got all the lament configuration built into it. And that building is in the fourth movie. Oh, is it? I was going to yeah. say, does that pay off in a later film? Yeah, they. So the building in the fourth movie, you find out because it's all about the Le Chamont fucking bloodline, and it's like you find out that the the guy in the Victorian times was the guy that created the box, and then in modern day times, he's like an architect who designed the building based on the box and then in the future he's got like a box as well so it pays through of like it's the bloodline of the guy who created the box and then his ancestor throughout history so it does have like a, a purpose of it being like somebody just went no man where do we go for a fourth movie they're like that building i feel like they only built that in like because of the ending of this one because i think it was just a cool reference of like the lament configuration can't be destroyed and it will still exist in some form yeah, like, or another evil never dies yeah um what did you think of Kirsty's cameo in this i mean you could barely tell it was her because fucking 90s tv screens were fucking terrible but yeah like in an ideal world i'd have swapped terry out and brought Kirsty back yeah and like had Kirsty and joey teaming up that would have yeah. been like way cooler it um it's nice to see like because like i love Kirsty. like everybody who knows like we've talked about Hellraiser, like, she's fucking great, and I would love to have seen her or someone like similar to her in this movie. Not that Joey's like a bad character, I just don't think that she's on the level of a Kirsty, and I don't think that the interplay between her and Pinhead is very interesting. No. Although I do like the I I do like the fact that they don't set up like him to return for a sequel. Like they give you the 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 house as like a wink and a nod, the building as a wink and a nod, but mm. they. They kind of never be like, he's coming back. Like the box is twitching or he's laughing or some shit like that. Like, and I think it's a very definitive end to this trilogy. Mm. Although saying that, it feels like not so much of a trilogy. It feels like two very self-contained movies that tell one story. And then like this third movie that's kind of like, hey man, we made a third one. Pinhead's back. Like yeah. Um, so yeah, it kind of feels like a very loose trilogy. Like there are obviously thematic things that cross through, but like I wouldn't really call it a trilogy from a story standpoint. Yeah, you're all right. I do think though, in a lot of ways, this is the death of Pinhead as Pinhead created by Clive Barker. Yeah, this is the movie where he ceases to be a Clive Barker creation and mm. he becomes the Weinstein's creation, um, for better or worse. Like. We obviously know what happens to the franchise after this. So it is a little hard, I think, when you look at this movie in a vacuum to kind of compare it to the other two. But, like, I've always told people this is my favorite. I, like, I know this is not the best Hellraiser movie, mm. but this is my favorite Hellraiser movie for a lot of reasons. Like, the same reason that Halloween H2O is my favorite Halloween movie. It's the first one I saw when I was a kid. And, like, it helped me to, like, love those characters. Um so for that, I'm always going to love this movie, no matter how fucking stupid it is, no matter how dumb it is. Like, I'm always going to love this movie. Um, but I have I have to ask you, because I think it's so blatant at this point. Wishmaster's just a rip-off of Hellraiser, right? Oh, yeah, 110%. Because, <laughs> like, Peter Atkins, who wrote this movie, obviously wrote Wishmaster. 110%. And, like, it's so obvious. Like, now that you've seen so X amount of Hellraiser movies, you can so obviously see, like where the djinn is basically Pinhead. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, they do that scene at the party where they kill all the people in a very similar scene to, like, the massacre scene in this. But, like, it's so obvious, like, that Peter Atkins wrote 
this and then went, oh, you know, I'm going to create another horror icon and then just basically make him like the fucking <laughs> like pinhead, but not really. And, and I say that as a compliment because I fucking love the Wishmaster. I think Wishmaster's a fucking... Wishmaster's cool. But like there's so many like similarities between the characters and like the way that they go after people that they're summoned and like all this sort of nonsense. Yeah. But like I find it interesting, like now that you've seen the third one and the second one, you can see all of the different story elements that they took. Basically, the new one isn't a remake. It's a greatest hits compilation of the first three movies mm-hmm. because nobody ever talks about it. Because I remember when the new movie came out, it was like, yeah, the lament configuration can change shape. And I was like, bitch, it fucking changes into a dagger in this. She fucking stabs him it with it. It changed into loads of different configurations in the second one. Yeah. And I was like, it changes into like the diamond shape that looks like this thing that sits above the Sims' head. It looks heads. like Leviathan. Yeah, yeah, in this one, because she fucking stabs it with him. And then everyone's like, oh my God, when the new one came out. But like, they, they in the new one, they take obviously the mental asylum thing, the, the, like, the, the down and out kids. They take the, obviously, the bits from this as well. Like, it's interesting to see what bits they took from what movies when they made the new one. Yeah. Um, how would you rank this against the other two? Uh, I think it literally goes one, two, three, to be honest. Is that how you rank them? Yeah. The first one's to your favourite? Yeah. What did you think of the second one? I like, enjoyed in, the second one. It's so good. Like, world building is great in it. Yeah. Like, I think. Alex, skinless Julia, I will always talk about how much she fucking rules. Um, But yeah, like, I just think this one is very much a product of its time. And it's very much one of those, like... Hey man, we took Pinhead and we put him in New York the same way that we did Jason, but we didn't really do any like New York shit. So Ghostface, step your pussy up. We need you to do be like fucking New York shit in Scream Six. <laughs> like, just do some fucking New York shit. Um, okay, what are your final thoughts on this movie? Is there anything that you'd like to add about this movie? And would you like to give me a final score? Uh, so I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was really fun. I mean, it's not the best. Don't get me wrong, but it's quite a fun film to sit through. Okay. Uh, there's definitely too much Hellraiser talking. Mm-hmm. I, I need you to be to be to be intimidating and quiet. Thank you, Leather Daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, like I quite enjoyed it. I'm gonna give it three point five. Yeah. Did you not think, you talk about his exposition, that he's like one of your friends who learns new words and yeah. you just can't wait to tell people the new words that he's learned? Yeah. So like you'll be, like everybody knows this one person, you'll be at a party and you'll be like, hey man, just talking about Funko Pops and this guy's like, the loquaciousness of which the collection of your productive blah blah, and it's like, come on man, like we all have one friend who thinks they're like super intellectual but they're actually not. And like, pin Pinhead is that guy though, isn't he? Yeah, a little bit. Like, Pinhead is the Nicole of like <laughs> no i'm like nicole you have access to the internet like <laughs> but yeah like he he definitely comes across in this in this movie like an arrogant scholar who's like you will listen to me and you will listen and i'm like motherfucker no like just just say a zippy line and then peace out like or don't say anything you know what i mean you say it best when, when you, you say, say nothing, nothing at all, all. yeah but like, has has this movie made you want to see any of the others, or are you good now? Like, I think I'm good. Like, I might watch the fourth one, maybe. Bloodline. Um, but I think I'm good. Do you think you'll rewatch the remake or the new one? No. I watched it again the other day, and there's a lot of fucking around and finding out in that movie. Yeah. 
Jamie Clayton, I will say it constantly, is the best thing in that movie. Oh, yeah, by, by and a country mile. she deserves all the praise that she gets for being fucking great in that film. And, like, as I said to you, going back and watching, like, Hellraiser 2 and 3, you realise actually how good her performance is in the new movie because it's so different to what Doug Bradley's doing. Yeah. And, like, I love the fact that she was able to make the character her own and not just emulate Doug Bradley. But, like... I don't know, man. Does Doug Bradley seem a bit bored in this movie to you? No. <laughs> like, there are certain scenes where he's a bit like, oh, I don't want to be here. And it's weird seeing him in daylight at the yeah, end. Yeah, it's strange seeing him in Like, daylight. it's weird seeing Pinhead in full daylight. Um, I think, yeah, this this still is my favourite Hellraiser movie. Um, it's always been my favourite Hellraiser movie, even though we've covered the original one, like, twice at this point. I think this one is still my favourite, just because I love weird 90s trash horror movies and i love that like weird glossy mtv 90s sheen that horror movies had um so yeah i'm probably going to give it the same as you i'll probably give it like a 3.5 out of 5 i think there are elements of the story that as i've got older and the more deeper into the like hell hellraiser lore that i've got that just don't make any fucking sense but as a cheesy throw it on friday night or working from home in the background horror movie like it holds up like, I don't have to think about it too much. I get a fuck ton of pinhead in it. Um, I guess, you know, and it's it's just a good time. It's just a good movie. Like, not everything has to be a five-star movie. Like, I don't always want to eat steak. Sometimes I want tater tots, and this is tater tots. Um, so, yeah, that's our thoughts on Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. That will conclude our three calls month. Thank you once again, guys, for all the continued support. Um, you guys have really been showing up over the last couple of weeks for the new episodes. So we really appreciate everything that you guys have been doing for us and all, all of the like support that you've been showing us. As I said, we will be back on Friday with our top five favourite episodes of horror TV or horror episodes of TV. Um, and we will be back next Monday with our first episode for our first month, uh, first time watch month. Uh, we will be looking at Blood Diner. So fuck knows what that episode's going to be like because fuck knows what that movie's going to be. Mm. Um, but yeah, as always, I've been Simon. I've been late. Stay spooky, stay safe. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.